Recorded live. Good evening. This is time for us to begin our evening worship service. Glad to have you back this evening. Made it. Um, we still have some that are out due to illness and some that are out due to traveling. We miss them. We're going to keep them in our prayers. In the way of area news and news in general, uh, Darien Day collection was $88. I don't think we had ever announced the amount on that. $88. Um, there's two gospel meetings coming up. One is the 20th through the 22nd of this month at, at uh, Forest Park with Justin Rogers speaking. And we have another one uh, coming up at Redland, 22nd through the 25th with Jason Chester speaking. Both of those begin at 7 o'clock. On our prayer list, we have um, 
Brother Brian, who has a virus at this time and is not doing well at all, keep him in our prayers. Glad that Kayla's feeling better and hopefully she's on the mend now. Uh, we have several that have cancer. My Aunt Martha, uh, we have uh, Linda Ball, and we have Gary Reynolds that we want to keep in our prayers with cancer. Sister Clara was out this morning. Uh, she's not feeling well. And then also Bernie Nelson was uh, mentioned this morning as kidney cancer. So we want to remember him also in our prayers. We have several birthdays coming up. Daddy's on the 20th. Uh, Raynette's been on the 26th. Uh, Andrew and Ada's anniversary is on the 28th. And then uh, Andrew's is on the 30th, his birthday, not anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> um, order of service this evening will be as follows. I'll leave the songs in just a few minutes. Uh, Lord's Supper, if anyone needs to partake, so Andrew and Mir will take care of that. Our first prayer will be by Brother Ray. Closing prayer by Brother Evan. And sermon this evening by Brother Andrew will be Gideon, the man of valor. This time, if you will, get your song books and turn to number 708. 708. <coughs> Sing the wondrous love of Jesus, sing his mercy and his grace. In the mansions bright and blessed, he'll prepare for us a place when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be when we all Be with me, Lord. 
One lesson was sing number 675. 675. I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delight. Things that are higher, things that are nobler, these have allured my sight. I will hasten to him, hasten to learn free.
It was Wednesday night and air conditioner broke in the middle of summer. And I was sitting by my mother and I said, It's hot. And Daddy heard me and said, If this is the hottest you ever get, you'll be all right. Remember that and just keep on going. Uh, good to see everybody this evening. Hope you're doing well. Um, I don't know if you picked up the pa uh, page this morning that has no knowledge on it. It actually works out really well that we missed the last three times with this because it really serves as a good introduction to what we're going to talk about tonight. So if you have that and you want to follow along, that's fine. If not, there are some more back there in the back. And if when we get done, if there's not, you can have this. But on the first of the month, it's actually on the very back. I had a thought when I put this together that I rethought it last night, and I don't know, it just worked out the way it is, but the first one's on the back, and it was for Deuteronomy 19 through Joshua 7, the, the charge that was given to Joshua, be strong and be encouraged, the possessions, Joshua 1, 6, Matthew 6, 24 and 25, for us today, the Lord's command, Joshua 1, 7, you're supposed to focus on God's word, John 14, 15, we will uh, be strong and we have good courage as we keep the commandments of the Lord. Defeating fear, Joshua 1 9. Joshua was supposed to let the things he faced deter him. He's supposed to continue on. Revelation 21 8, we're not supposed to be fearful either. The Lord's with us, and, and to be fearful would, would cause us to depart from his way. And then to stand firm always, Joshua 1 18, 1 Corinthians 15 58. So that gets you into the book of Joshua. Then last week we would have noticed. The one that's on the inside, and there's a lot of it, so I stuck it on the inside. The, um, Joshua 8, chapter 6, there arose a generation that knew not God, as Judges 2 10. Now, notice this says, All the generation, their good instructions, examples died and buried with them. And there arose another generation of Israelites who had so little sense of religion, so little care about it, that one might truly say that they knew not the Lord, else they would not have forsaken him. They were so devoted to the world that they never minded the true God and his holy religion, and so were easily drawn aside to false gods and their abominable superstitions. That's from Matthew Henry's commentary, and there's a link there that you can type in, and you should find that cited. And so he says, so true then, so true now. We are one generation away from apostasy. And so that's important for us to keep in mind, and how not only just to simply push the facts, uh, down the line of the generations, but also to help the next generation to know the Lord. Now, for us to do that, we've got to know the Lord, and we've got to be developing that relationship with him ourselves, but then develop that help the, the generation that's coming up to have that same relationship and to be able to be closer to the Lord. Finally, on the very front, this gets us through, uh, caught up, the book of Ruth. Is the nugget and odds, the whole book. And so think about this. First of all, she was committed. She committed herself in that she said, I will. And that, that uh, passage that is very familiar to us from Ruth 1, verse 16. And she was committed to, uh, to the right people. Whither thou goest. She was focused in on doing those, those two good things. And that, that's uh, important for us today to realize we have a commitment, but also to be committed to the right people. And Naomi was taking her where she needed to be. Now, the lessons from Ruth, number two, is that through Judah, the Christ would come, Genesis 38 49. That should be a, actually, I think it's chapter 38 and 49. And in God's providential care, as you read through the book of that, uh, Ruth, not a species or whatever, but the book of Ruth, over and over again, things just line up. It's interesting in the second chapter, it says that her half was 
she happened to find the field of Boaz. That's a big happened uh, to find. It happened that they came to, at the time of the barley harvest. And so everything was, and God's providence is carried everything. Boaz and Ruth respected God's plan for marriage. Some people want to go to chapter 3 and say, well, they weren't doing what they were supposed to know. As we've seen in other studies, when she goes to him that evening, she uncovers his feet and lies down at his feet until he wakes up. And if you've ever had your feet come out from under the cover and get cold, you know what it is to wake up with cold feet. He woke up, and there's, there's a lady at the bottom of his bed. He says, who are you? And they talk, and she tells him what, he, what she wants, and that is for him to redeem her, to be her husband. And he says, that's fine, but there's somebody else we got to check with first because of someone close to him than I am to your family. And so they respected God's plan for marriage. Finally, Boaz did what was right in God's eyes. Boaz is a very respectable man, and uh, he is impressive. In that time period of the judges, when it, uh, frequently throughout the book, there are indications that by and large, God's people didn't pay attention to his laws and weren't concerned about his will. Here's Boaz. He was mindful of the poor. He was mindful of God's laws concerning marriage, God's laws concerning the kinsman redeemer, all of these things, he was focused on doing what was right. So Boaz is a, a good example for us. But all that's kind of the background of what we talk about this evening, and that is, if this thing will work, it doesn't look like it's going to, so we'll just use arrows. Gideon, the mighty man of valor. In the book of Judges, okay, that's going to be a little more inconvenient than I thought, but it'll be all right. In the book of Judges, um, we, we finished with Joshua. They came to the land, and actually I wish I'd put the verse at the beginning, but I put it at the end. But in Joshua 23, around about verse 14, Joshua says, All the promises that God made, he had, nothing has failed to come to pass. Now, we're still working on the promise of the that through Abraham all families of the earth will be blessed, but that really is seen even... Evidence of that in, the, in in Joshua's speech because he tells them you can serve the God that you serve, your father served on the other side of the flood, that is on the other side of Euphrates River, talking about Abraham and his family and the God that they would have served there. You can serve those gods, you can serve the Lord, but you can't serve both. God's command to Abraham was to get up and leave. He did that, and he had to go and be with God and get away from those idols. In that context, Joshua says, put away the idols of, of before. Put away your, the idols. Over and over again, we're going to have to have the Israelites told, put away the idols, because they kept bringing them back. But at this time period, when we get to the book of Judges, the, the land is being inhabited by the, by the Israelites. And so we've got that there. And then Joshua chapter, no, Judges chapter, well, just read it. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnatherez, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill Gaish. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works, which the Lord, works of the Lord which, that he did for Israel. And also all the... All that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And so we've got some time that's taken place between the end of Judges, or Joshua, and the beginning of Judges, and then you have Joshua and his generation of people that have died, and now we've got this new generation that doesn't know the Lord. 
And so with that being the case, we enter into this cycle. We've noticed this cycle before. I really wish this thing would work. Okay. We've noticed this cycle before, how that there was a period of faithfulness, there was a period of rebellion, there was a period of oppression and deliverance, and then there would be penance. And over and over again through the book of Judges, we have this cycle taking place. And so you'd have the deliverance, that the deliverer would be a judge. It would be one of the one of the uh, judges that we read about. Oops, to turn things on if you want to use them. I forget this one has a button. Um, anyway, the deliverer would be a judge, and, and tonight the judge are going to be reading about Gideon, and then there would be a time of penitence, there would be a time of peace, and then again they turn away, and it's sad as you read the, through the Judges 6, 7, and 8, the very last couple of verses says that as soon as Joshua, or, there's too many people's names floating around. As soon as Gideon dies, they turn immediately to Belbereed and make him their God. So they have 40 years of peace after they're delivered from uh, Midianite, and they turn to that. And so we're entering into this cycle, and really when you continue through the Old Testament, we're not going to be able to go in detail on all of these things, but when you go through the Old Testament, even after they get out of captivity, God tells the people, you're still not doing what you're supposed to be doing, and there's going to be an end to all this. And eventually that end takes place in 87. Okay, so now, we're looking at a map of what's going on. Now, I'm not really sure about all this. That really doesn't pertain to us this evening. As such, the main thing I wanted us to be able to see is here is where the first map we looked at. There is the nation of Israel and there is all the land there. Here's the Midianite. And the problem is when you get to Judges chapter 7, you may want to go ahead and open your Bibles to Judges 6 actually. When you get to Judges chapter 6, the Midianites, because of the Israelites turning away from God, God has allowed the, um, the Midianites to come in and to... to Cause problems for the Israelites. It says, uh, verse 2, the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because the Midianites, the children of Israel, made them dens, which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was when the Israel had sown, the Midianites came up, and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them. They camped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth till I come of the Gazan. And left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass, for they came up with their cattle and their tents, and, their, and they came as grasshoppers for multitude, for both they and their camels were, out, were without number. And they entered into the land to destroy it, and Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And so in that cycle, we've got this time of oppression. And you know, just picturing the numbers, it's kind of like... This morning, when we were talking about um, the basketball game, the Rupp Arena will hold 24,000 people. Um, if you saw the George Strait concert the other night, and that, I'm not saying you should, shouldn't, but there are 106,000 people and some hundreds, I don't remember, a bunch of people. But imagine all those people that were at that concert the other night just coming to Homerville with all their dogs and cats and whatever else they've got. Now, these people would come, be, been coming with livestock, and they were taking Israel's livestock. But basically, they come and set up shopping, and, and just every time there's going to be some some uh, 
something hard, something to harvest, they come and they take it and they say, thank you, we'll be back next time. It's almost like the movie of Love's Life when the grasshoppers come to town. They want, you know, they're just waiting for the next, next gathering. And so every time Israel has something that should be a good thing, the Midianites, the Amorites, the, the people of the East, they come and they take it. Over and over again to the point where they make dens in the mountains. In fact, when we get into talking about Gideon, well, actually, we can go ahead and talk about Gideon. Um, we come to Ophrah right here. Uh, there's the Sea of Galilee, so that gives you an idea. There's the box we're looking at. Right up here, we come to this place, Ophrah, and this is where basically the events of these chapters take place, more or less. There's a little bit of traveling involved as we continue. But as we get there, we come to a wine press. Now, I've not really seen a wine press face-to-face, but this is what a picture of one looks like. You put your grapes in here, and they would, would crush them, and the, the juice would flow out. It looks like right here. You can't see it as well in that picture uh, with the lighting the way it is. But that's basically the way that would work. But he's not, he's not doing anything with grapes. He is threshing wheat. Now, Brother Andrew gave us a, a, a description of it, but here's a fellow working on this. He's taking the chaff, and that's going to be the chaff blowing away, and then the kernels will fall down. So he's separating the chaff from the wheat, from the grain. And so as he does this, he's going to have to have somewhere to do this so the Midianites don't find him. Well, he found a wine press, or using a wine press, and that's where we find him when the angel of the Lord comes to him to talk to him about what's about to take place. And as we look at Gideon this evening, we're going to look at him, and, and, and really we're looking at the deliverance that the Lord provided through him, but we're kind of looking at it from a bird's eye view. And so as we start, first of all, we want to consider the preparation for deliverance. The preparation for deliverance. And as we do this, we're going to notice here in chapter 6, first of all, his call, the call of the leader, Gideon. Verse 11 Beginning, there came an angel of the Lord which sat uh, and sat under the under an oak tree which was an Oprah that pertained unto Joash the uh, I have trouble with this word and by Israelite and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the winepress and hid it from the Midianites. So by the winepress, not necessarily in it, but he's there where he could could be hid. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O Lord, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this my this thy might, and thou, thou shalt save, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites, have not I sent thee. And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor and Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. And now he's going to go and prepare a, a, an offering to bring to him some food, and it's going to be received, and so that kind of gives an indication that, that the, the angel of the Lord may not just be an angel, but, but may be the Lord, um, the second person of God here. But as we look at this, I want us to think about what he's saying. Here he is, a citizen of God's nation, the Israelites. And when you think about their heritage, you can go back and you can, we've been reading about it. 
You got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You got the time in Egypt, the plague. All of those things, the wandering through the wilderness, conquering the land, all of these things in their in their history, and now it's Gideon's time to be one of those people of God in this land. But that time period wasn't a good time period for God's people because they weren't faithful. And so as 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 he's doing his trying to survive, all he can see is the Lord doesn't seem to be with him. Now the Lord, he hasn't changed. He hasn't gone away. He's still wanting Israel to be faithful. He's wanting them to repent. In fact, that's the reason they're having this oppression. Because it, it, it's punishment for turning away from them. It's a reminder to turn back to him. And they cried out. Lord sent him a prophet and he reminds them of all these things. And then he brings, the, uh, then the angel comes to Gideon. And so in speaking with Gideon, he tells him, you're going to deliver God's people. He says, well, the Lord's not with you. Now, you want to be the deliverer of God's people know that, and, and know that the Lord's not with you? I don't. He didn't want to either. But he said, but I'm going to be with you. I'm sending you. And he's, but I'm, I'm, my family's poor. I'm the least in my family. He says, I'll be with you. So there's the call. And sometimes as you think about those who will lead God's people, there, there needs to be a reminder of the fact that those who are leading God's people, God's with them. Now, just because we want to be a leader of God's people doesn't mean God's going to be with us. Any, anybody in Israel could have said, well, I'm going to go against the Midianites. They hadn't been called to that. Now, I'm not saying the Lord's going to come to us or send an angel to us and say, hey, you need to do this or that. But through the Scriptures, God has called us to service as Christians. Through the Scriptures, he tells us what it takes to be an elder, what it takes to, to preach the gospel. And as we meet those requirements and the qualifications necessary to do these things, we're called to service by the gospel. And it's good to remember that the Lord's with us. But here we have this call, and 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 uh, in this call there then is a charge to clean up some things. This gets us on down to verse 25. The verse 25 says, And it came to pass, same night that the Lord said to him, Take thy father's young bullet, even the second bullet, of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath, and cut down the grove that is by it, and build an altar unto the Lord, that the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in, in the ordered place, and take the second bullet, and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove which thou shalt cut down. And Gideon took ten men of the, of the servants, and did as the Lord said unto him, so it was because he feared his father's household, and the men of the city, that he could not do it by day, that he did it by night. His family is part of this nation that's rebelled, and evidently it seems like either his father Joash was okay with Baal worship, or at least the place where they worship Baal was on his property, and, and he's told part of his mission in, pre in preparing for delivering Israel is he's got to get rid of this idol and its grove, the place where he's worshiped. And so he goes and he goes in the cover of night. I, I really don't blame him on that. It was been very difficult, and it is difficult when you think about possibly having to stand against family. We think about the danger that would be around because people would be able to see you doing this. So he goes with some help, but in the cover of that, he gets rid of the, the, the grove, he, he sets and offers the sacrifice, but then she'll, 
kids keep on reading and you're going to notice that the people of the city see what happens. And they figure out somehow or another, they go to Joash and say, send us out your son, so he's going to have to pay for this. And actually, they're going to kill him. And uh, notice what what his dad says. Verse uh, verse 31, And Joash said unto all that stood against him, Will ye plead for Baal? Will ye save him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death whilst is yet mourning. If he be a god, let him plead for himself, because one has cast down his, his altar. Therefore on that day he called him Jerubbabel, saying, Let Baal plead against him, because he had thrown down his altar. Now, that was a, I don't know if Gideon had to convince him or if that had been his disposition all this time, but for whatever reason, however he came to this conclusion, I like what he says. If Baal's a God, let him take, let him plead his case. Now, remember Elijah, First Kings 18, he had kind of a similar situation. He said, you prophets of Baal, you plead with Baal to, to call down fire on the sacrifice, and I'll plead with God, I'll pray to God, and whoever burns the sacrifice, we're gonna, we'll, we'll worship him. And the people said that was all right. And so going back to the idea of reminding these folks that Baal is, is nothing. If he was somebody, he, he could stand up for himself if he was a god, but he couldn't. So part of this, this preparation, there had to be some cleaning up. Baal couldn't exist, coexist and co-reign co, uh, with God. Baal had to be out of the picture. Not only that, there's some confirmation of this mission made for Gideon. The last part of this chapter, Gideon put the test uh, before God to be able to see for sure God's going to be with him. You've got to think. Now, you can imagine you're, you're from here in Homerville, and the Lord... Now, this is something that, that's worth saying right about now. It's important to remember that as we read about God's covenant relationship with Israel... We're not reading about God's covenant relationship with the United States. And that's something that sometimes gets kind of read into things. The things that we read about God telling his people, the Israelites, don't really apply to our nation as such. Now, he still wants us to do what's right. He wants us to submit to his will. And those things, and if we don't, we will be held accountable for that. But, but really, the parallel would not be with the United States so much as with the church. Because the church is his chosen people of the New Testament. And so that's important to keep that in mind. That also keeps us away from uh, some premillennial ideas that some of our friends and neighbors might want to throw at us if we start applying these things to modern day nations in that sense. But as far as this covenant, um, imagine if, if it were the case, imagine being somebody from down here in Homerville. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but when we think about Homerville, we don't generally think the person who's going to turn our nation around, although it's possible, will be somebody from Homerville. You're just going about doing your, minding your own business, maybe you're going to school, maybe you're going to work, and then you get a message from the Lord that you're going to be the one who turns the nation around. That's a big job. I... Big jobs kind of frighten me. I'll just be honest with you about that. I mean, I'm being honest about Christmas, too. But, but big jobs are intimidating. 
sometimes when I when I was in school, I'd have a paper to write. And starting a paper to me, you know, starting the, the job is the hardest part, really. Once you get into it, you can work on it little by little. But when I was in school, I'd have this paper due, and I'd have all, well, I just kept putting it off. I'd have a really clean room during the times that I had papers due. I might cook something during the time that papers were due because it's a whole lot easier to find other things to do besides start the job. But we've got to be impressed by Gideon because when, when he's called, he does go and he takes care of that cleaning up the stuff that failed. But then he, he has this request. And notice in verse 33, uh, actually verse 36, Gideon said to God, if, if thou wilt save Israel by my hand, as thou hast said, behold, I'll put a fleece of wool on the floor, and if the dew be on the fleece only, and it be dry upon all the earth beside, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by my hand, as thou hast said. And it was so that, for he rose up early on the morrow and thrust the fleece together and wringed out the dew, wringed the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. And Gideon said unto God, Let not thine anger be hot against me, for I will speak to but this once. Let me prove, I pray thee, but, but this once with the fleece, let it now be only dry upon the fleece and, all, and upon all the ground that there be dew. And God did so that night, for it was dry upon the fleece only. And there was dew on all around the ground. So God confirms to him, yes, you are going to be the one. Now, for Gideon, for Gideon, if you put yourself in Gideon's shoes, that'd be really nice. To know God's going to be with you and this is going to work out. Because he's got a lot of things ahead of him. In fact, he's got, uh, well, a large group of Midianites down away from him. And he, he's going to be the one to lead God's people. And so, first of all, we have the preparation for this deliverance in these things. Given by uh, here's the angel with by the angel for at the wine press, the call with the clean and to uh, go and deliver the people. Now we move on to the plan for deliverance. Now this plan, as you read through chapter seven, none of it really makes sense except for the fact that God again will will give. Gideon some assurance that things are going to work out. To begin with, as we look at this plan, first of all, there's the cutting of the army. Now, he wasn't like slicing them up, but he was making it a smaller army. He starts out with 32,000 people, and that seems pretty good, but there is a lot more of the Midianites than that. And if you're going up against the Midianites, I believe, and the number has jumped out of my head, but I believe it was 153,000. that sound right? <laughs> Anyway, that's a bunch of them. And then chapter 7. And it never fails when you're uh, needing a number like that. It doesn't show up. So he's got 32,000. God says, your army's too big. Because if they win, they're going to say, we did this by our might. So he says, go and tell the ones that are fearful, go home. He does that. And 22,000 people left. So there's 10,000 left. God says it's still too many. And so in verse 4, God said, Let, I said to Gideon, the people are yet too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will try them there for thee there. And, I, and it shall be that whom I say unto thee, this shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And whomsoever I say unto thee, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So they go down to the water, and the ones that drank from the water by putting their heads, faces down into the water, to get to the water, those went home. 
the ones that picked it up in their hands and drank from drank from their hands, those were the ones that stayed. So he ends up with three hundred men. Now if you're going to battle, you're gonna want a lot more people, but God says they need to know that I'm the one that did it. And so the first part of this plan is that the, the army had to have less people. The second part of this plan was to give some more confidence to Gideon. And so God tells him, if you need if if you're uh, unsure about this, so verse nine, um Arise, get thee down into the host, for I have delivered in thy hand. But if thou fear, go down. Uh, go. If thou fear, go down and go thou with Pharaoh, thy servant, and down to the host. And thou shalt hear what they say. What they say afterward shall thy, and afterward shall thine hands be strengthened to go down unto the host. Then went he down with Pharaoh his servants unto the outside of the arms men that were in the host. Now notice verse 13, when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellows, and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and lo, a cake of barley and tumbled into the host of Midian, and came into the tent, and smote it, and, and that it fell, and overturned it, that the tent lay alone. And this, and the fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, for into his hand hath God delivered Midian, in all the hosts. Now, you talk about giving you confidence. Placing the wool with something, but here you got somebody basically saying, Joshua Gideon's going to come in. He's going to wipe us out because God delivered us to him. And so, there's, again, God gives his leaders confidence and assurance that this is going to work. Finally, he divides them into three companies. He gives them a picture. He gives them a trumpet. He says, now, we're going to go, and you're going to do what I do when I blow. On the trumpet, you're going to blow on your trumpets. We're going to break the pictures that cover the lamp and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And so we have our plan. And so I've got a map here that kind of gives you an idea. Um, this is kind of this is that same area. There's the hill of Mora. And these folks, and there's the Oprah, more or less, Jezreel. And here would be the Midianite army. Here's Gideon's folks, and they're going to come around and they're going to surround the people, uh, the army of Midian, of uh, the Midianites, and that's the plan. Now, move on a little bit though, and we find power and perseverance are the keys to the, to the deliverance. Power and perseverance are the keys to deliverance. The power of God is the key to their deliverance. They were in a situation that they had gotten themselves into because they turned away from God. At the beginning, in Judges 7 and verse 2, God tells, uh, tells Gideon, the army's too big, they need to know that I'm the one who delivered them. Israel needed to turn their hearts back to God to serve him and be faithful to him and put away Baal. They needed to know that God is God. They aren't, nobody else is, and Baal is. And so they... They had to see this, and it had to be emphasized to them. It was the power of God that saved them. It was his plan. It was his leader. It was all going to be done his way in order for them to be delivered. In Judges 8, beginning of verse 1, uh, notice, The men of Ephraim said unto him, Why hast thou servest thus, speaking to Gideon, that thou callest not, callest not when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites? And they did chide them with him sharply. 
And he said unto them, What have I done now? What have I done now in the comparison of you? Is not the green of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abiezer? God hath delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, or of Aziz. And what was I able to do in comparison of you? Then their anger was abated toward him when he when he said that. Now they start out and you have the 300 men and the Midianites take off whatever's left of them. They, they woke up when they saw all, the, all the, the lights and the trumpets and they heard the shouts and they began to kill each other. But then they take off running. Gideon gets word to the Ephraimites and says, you need to cut them off along the way. i got a map for that. I'll show you in just a minute. They said, you need to cut them off along the way. And they have this conversation. The, the Ephraimites wonder why they didn't get called to begin with. And, and notice how he handled that situation. He says, but y'all done far greater than we did. We, more or less, we're working together, and, and, and you did more than we did already. You got the two princes. But notice that Gideon speaks to them. He doesn't take credit. He doesn't say, well, this was my plan, and that's just the way I chose to do it. He says, God delivered them into your hands. God with them. He gives God the credit. It was God's power. It was God's plan. He was God's man leading God's people. It was all going back to God to get the people back to God. So first of all, we have the power of God was the first key of their deliverance, but also the perseverance of the army was another key to their deliverance. The perseverance of the army. When you look at verses 4 through 9, notice Again, he came to Jordan, passed over, he and 300 men that were with him, faint, yet pursuing him. And he said unto the men of Sutton, Give, I pray you, loaves of bread unto the people that follow me, for they be faint. And I am pursuing Asher, Zeba, and Zaluna, and kings of Midian. Are the princes of Sutton, and the princes of Sutton said, Are the hands of Zeba and Zaluna now in thy hand that we get, should give them uh, bread unto thine army? And Gideon said, Therefore, when the Lord has delivered Zeban Zalmuna into mine hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. And we talked about that a while back. But they didn't want to help them out because they didn't know how the battle was going to turn out. They didn't have their faith in God, really, and in Gideon. And so instead of helping as they pursued this army, they basically say, Well, if you had them right here, if you'd already defeated them, we'd feed you. But until this battle, we see how this is going to go, we're going to keep our bread and you just keep on fighting. Later on, I, I like the way it, it, he talks about it a little bit later in the chapter. Um, in verse verse 16, he says, He took the elders of the city and thorns of the wilderness and briars, and with them he tossed them in a bucket. Now, that's kind of a nice way of saying, he, well, you never killed him, basically. That's the way it works out, but he called him. I, I don't understand not helping out. Anyway, that's not my point. I want you to notice, here's the box that we're looking at up here. We start out right about here. The battle goes down to Jezreel, down to Abel, Mahola, and that's the estimation of where that would have been. Down to Succoth, to Penuel, and they did the same thing, and they didn't turn out any better. And then it keeps on going down here. So they went from up here to down here, and these people said, Sorry, if you've won the battle already, we feed you, but we can't help you right now. Now imagine you're in this army, and you're going along that way. That's, a, that's not 
easy terrain to be going through to begin with. So you're going through the, the, the terrain, you've traveled all this way, you've been up all night, they had the battle there tonight, you're traveling along this way, you finally come to people who ought to help you, and they don't. But they continue. I like the word, the phraseology that continue. They, they, they pursue faith, uh, yet pursue they, they persevered. They didn't give up. They didn't give up along the journey. They didn't give up when they had no provision. They continued on and they finished this battle. Had they given up, had they turned back, they wouldn't have been able, they wouldn't have had the success. You think about the perseverance of Gideon throughout all of this. First thing he's told, you're going to have to do something that can turn your family against you. And your life, your life is in danger. He does that. He goes on. God gives him some reassurances along the way. He his army. God says, that's too many. He doesn't say, are you sure? He just says, okay, I've got 300 men here. And, and they get the plan, they go. Gideon didn't give up along the way. And that's something that, that's impressive when you think about the things that he faced. But he was able to do that again because of faith and trust in God as he continued on. And so power and perseverance were keys to their deliverance. And then finally... We get through all of that, and we're skipping some of the details. I encourage you to go back and read this, but we've got to move on. Verse 28, Thus was Midian subdued before the children of Israel, so that they lifted up their hands no more. And the country was in quietness 40 years in the days of Gideon. 40 years of peace. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Imagine if, if for somehow or another we could get rid of ISIS and all the people that want to attack anybody and us, and we could just have 40 years of peace. I don't know when the last time 40 years of peace existed. But wouldn't it be now? God's people, under Gideon's oversight, had 40 years of it. Unfortunately, there were some problems. And so we have a polluted deliverance. Because toward the end of everything, you keep on reading chapter 8, some problems arise. First of all, in this, we have Gideon's possession. Verses 24 through 27 of chapter 8 says, And Gideon said unto them, I would desire and request of you that you would give me every man the earrings of his praise, for they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, We will willingly give them. And they spread a garment and did cast therein every man uh, the earrings of his praise for the defeated enemies. And the way the gold earrings they requested was 1,700 shekels of gold, about 50 to 70 pounds, what I remember was what I was looking at. Besides ornaments and collars and purple raiment, that was on the kings of Midian, and besides the chains that were about the camel's neck. And Gideon made an ephod thereof and put it in his city, even, the, even in Ophrah, and all of Israel went thither a whoring after it, which then became a snare unto Gideon into his house. To have done such great work, to to have provided the forty years of peace, God did through them. But to been the one who did, who led God's people and all that. You read through all that, and you know it's just exciting. He calls, he goes, and it's kind of like a black ops operation. He goes and gets rid of the altar of Baal. Offers sacrifice. He goes and gets his army. He goes and defeats the Midianites. Everything's going great. And we come to this section. Don't really understand all that. There, were, folks, I read you may have something different and more information. 
the one I read basically is kind of signifying he was the the leader, the the head of all this stuff, and but for whatever reason he had in making it, certainly was not worth the problems that it caused. So first of all, in this polluted deliverance, problems that arose, Gideon's possession that Esau that he made became a problem. But not only that, Israel had some problems too in this. You go back to verses 23 and 24, Gideon said, uh, well, 22 and 23, sorry. Then the men of Israel came to Gideon, uh, said to Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son, my son's son also, for thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you, the Lord shall rule over you. They just got rid of the Midianites, because, and they had them because they weren't serving the Lord, right? And the first thing they do is say, You delivered us, we want you to be our king. He said, I'm not going to do it. The Lord will do it. And had they focused on the Lord, you recall when they come to Samuel to have a king, Samuel, uh, God tells Samuel, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. But you didn't have the right idea the Lord would rule over them. But first of all, they wanted a king. The second problem we find is that as soon as, as Gideon dies, verses 32 through 35, they turn away. Verse 33 came to pass as soon as Gideon was dead, the children of Israel turned again and went a whoring after Balaam and made Baal their their God. And the children of Israel remembered not the Lord, the Lord their God, who had delivered them out of the hand of all their enemies on every side. Neither showed they kindness to the house of Zerubbabel, namely Gideon, according to all the goodness which he had shown unto Israel. As soon as he's gone, they forget what happened, they forget all that. And go back to their old ways, continuing in that cycle. As we think about them, and we think about us, think about all that they had. Again, we go back to Joshua, the verse uh, 23 14. Behold, this day I'm going in the way of the earth, all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and all your souls that not one thing has failed. You did all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing has failed thereof. God kept his word. He gave them that land that he had promised them. Not only that, uh, but as soon as he died, they turned away, and they put this land that he had blessed them with in jeopardy. God told them, if you, if you stay faithful to me, I'll be with you, and you can dwell in the land. The land that he had promised, the land that he had given them, but they put it in jeopardy. They continued in that cycle and never really came out of it. For us as Christians, we need to keep in mind the, the, the land, if you will, that God's blessed us with. He's made the church. He's made it possible for us to have salvation, to have heavenly citizenship. But we've got to be obedient to him. We've got to be faithful to him and continue in. Therein. So that's the first thing from the nation of Israel. We should keep that in mind. But also, when we think about Gideon, first of all, the preparation for deliverance. For those who lead God's people, there's going to be preparation. When you think about the preparation made in Jesus coming into the world, a whole lot of preparation to get things ready, set the stage for the deliverer to come. But you think about those who will be leaders of God's people today, there's still preparation that has to take place. 
There has to be an answer to that gospel call. There has to be a purging of the things of this world from one's life. And then there has to be assurance that comes from hearing God's word and resting on the promises that he's made to keep on going. So not only preparation, but also plans. There has to be a plan. There is a plan. God gave it to us. plan of salvation. That through faith, repentance, confession, and baptism, we can have our sins forgiven. We can rise and walk in the end of life. God's given us his plan. Now, it's similar to the plan of Gideon's day because in Gideon's day, and even today, if you were to say we're going to go take an army by um, getting rid of all our soldiers, or most of them, and go, go to the mountains, it, it worked out wonderfully, and it makes sense once you see it, but if you're going step by step along the way and someone's telling you his plan, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. People in our world today, God's plan of salvation doesn't seem to make sense, but it does to him. And he explains it to us so that we can understand it as well. And it makes perfect sense when you take the time to listen to what he has to say and you begin to do the things that he's commanded. And here we see that in this plan, it will be successful. If God's plan, he's not going to mess it up. It's not going to fail. He will keep his word and it will work. Not only that, power and perseverance are the key to deliverance. In order for us to be delivered from, from the, the problems of this world, the, the, the oppression of this world, if you will, through sin and, and the difficulties of life, we've got to, to, well, God's power is the only thing that can do that. Power is in the Word. Perseverance. We, we've got to continue on. We can't stop. Again, if, they, if Gideon had stopped along the way, if the army had stopped along the way, deliverance would not have been, been received. Then finally, we've got to remember to keep the solutions out of what God's done for us. Kind of wonder in situations like Gideon. Knowing the way things turned out, would folks read about in the Bible when things don't turn out that way, if they could go back and undo them, if they would. Good thing is, for us, we don't have to worry about that right now. We just simply have to make things right now. And then go forward and continue on doing the things that the Lord's commanded and avoid those things that would pollute the deliverance or salvation that He provides for us. So this evening, think about Gideon, man of valor. We understand things didn't end on a good note. The question we've got to ask, though, is will things end on a good note for me, but they end on a good note for you? God has made a way that we can be saved. And if you've not obeyed the gospel, if you've not enacted or, or accessed this plan that he's put in place for you to receive the deliverance from sin. So if you're willing to study his word, we'll be glad to study with you. If you're ready to obey his word, we're ready to help you. As a child of God, if you've been unfaithful and there's some solutions, you need to get out of your life so that you can be who God wants you to be and you can Enjoy the deliverance and salvation that he's provided for you. We'd love to help you with that. If you repent of those sins, ask for the Lord's forgiveness. We'll pray with you and for you. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, please come and stand and sing.
Thank you. 